0: This is Sean Lil from Ring General Radio, and you're listening to the 4D Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to a one-pint stand, a Minnesota craft beer podcast brought to you by the 4D Podcast Network. This show is all about talking beer, and hopefully you'll still respect us in the morning. So go ahead and grab a cold one. The show starts now. Welcome to another episode of A One Pint Stand. I'm your host, Dan Bobian. This episode fuses together two of my most favorite things beer and cheese. We are lucky enough to be joined by the husband and wife team behind Forage to Fromage, Carrie and Mike Jared. They are cheese experts and absolutely wonderful people. They also brought along the cheesemaker from Redhead Creamery, Elise Showstrom, and we had a wonderful time chatting. We were hosted up at Lupulin Brewing Company and their, uh, by their head of hospitality, Jason Wester. Now, those of you who are familiar with Lupulin, that name Jason Wester is very familiar because up until recently, he was their taproom manager, and he has been elevated to their head of hospitality, So, new title, but same old, lovable Jason. We were up, uh, you know, you might be wondering, why were we up at Lupulin Brewing Company? Uh, Well, that is because we have been working on a little something special to put on for the masses in the form of a cheese and beer pairing class that will be held up at the Lupulin Brewing Company taproom on Saturday, August 7th, at 1 p.m. in the afternoon and that will run till about 2:30 in the afternoon. It will feature myself as the MC and Carrie and Mike Jared from Forge to Fromage are curating a wonderful collection of six locally sourced cheeses to pair with six of Lupulin's delicious beers. The tickets are $25 apiece, and it promises to be a wonderful afternoon of fun and learning, so keep an eye out on Lupulin's event page on Facebook for information about that. Now, our conversation on the podcast today takes a deep dive into the dairy case of all topics cheese, as well as why cheese pairs so well with beer. So, it is with joy in my heart and cheese on my cracker that I bring you our show on cheese and beer pairing. Welcome to another On Location episode of A One-Pint Stand. And just like all the other episodes of A One-Pint Stand, this one is going to be cheesy. But I'm not talking about my jokes. I'm talking about the topics, because we are lucky enough to have some guests with us who know cheese like I know the inside of a Ruffles potato chip bag We have Carrie and Mike Jared of Forage to Fromage. Welcome. Uh, Thank you for being with us. And we are up here in the Lupulin Brewing Company uh, tap room, uh, in the conference room, actually. And if you hear the copy machine go off, don't worry. I'm not. Sitting on it and doing anything lewd. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, things coming in from the fax machine. So uh, we're here also being joined with the the one, the only Jason Wester, who up until recently was <laughs> the taproom manager. And your title has changed. What, what's your title now?
0: Uh, so you're correct. My uh, former title was taproom manager, but now I am the uh, hospitality manager.
1: Hospitality manager. I believe that's code for Backrub Expert, where oh. I come from. So that's exciting. So before we get into everything, I thought we you know, I always like to do kind of like a little get to know you thing at the beginning of a of a podcast. So my first question to to and we'll start with, with Jason. Uh, what is your favorite
0: thing to put cheese on and why? Oh I'm gonna be PG and follow your standard answers. Fresh homemade pasta. Main reason like melted cheesy goodness, nice carbs. There's nothing more satisfying and stick to the bones good than, you know, melted cheese on
2: noodles. Well, for me, cheese on a fork. That works perfectly.
3: Or a spoon. Either one. (laughs) As good as that is, being a uh, Former Wisconsin native, uh, oh. you can't beat cheddar cheese on warm apple pie. Ooh. Actually, okay. So, I'm not okay. sure that that may hit a few parts of Minnesota, but uh, boy, that was that was a very common thing in uh, in Wisconsin. Interesting. You know, I've I've heard of that and I've never tried it, but I'm
1: sure it's a it's a combo made in culinary heaven for me. Uh, I am my favorite food is a cheeseburger. I just love cheese on a burger because it's just, to me, that is just... I don't know. Like, I, I would take a, a well-made cheeseburger over a steak, over many different things, just because it's... I don't know. I, and, and I think it goes well with the beer. <laughs> so
2: Absolutely. Um, What's your favorite cheese on a burger or in a burger? So there's a
1: place downtown, and I hope it's still open, because they have a really good um, cheeseburger, and they put, like, four-year-age cheddar on it. The place is called Ike's. Mm-hmm. And it's a very kind of old-school chop house, and they, the the burger is just fantastic. And it's a very – I mean, it's a just – Juicy, well made patty, but the, the cheese is so good. If you get that four year age cheddar, it just has uh, so, it's like, it's so satisfying in so many different ways. It melts well, but it also has like a nuttiness and it has a salinity to it. It's ju- It's just like the perfect, it goes so well with the juicy, meaty. Patty,
2: I just well, and I just love it. the texture too on that cheese. Yep, the texture. Gonna, does, yeah. does not disappear. I'm right going to change my answer to cheeseburger. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> bingo! That, uh,
1: I've been called many things, but you know, a visionary is not one of them. So maybe we can <laughs> add that to the list. So um, let's start off. Um, Carrie and Mike, do you want to introduce yourselves and uh, just tell us what got you both into cheese?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my story is kind of uh, well. Um, Took a lot of paths. I'm Carrie Jared. My husband is Mike Jared. And uh, we actually met at UW-Madison, um, which is, you know, it's Wisconsin. It's cheese-centric, obviously. But uh, I did not graduate with anything resembling cheese because most of us cheese specialists or cheese mongers don't go out looking for it. We kind of fall into it. And uh, it's all about passion. So I I consider myself a cheese specialist. And um, so I'm kind of the end process. Hubby is the beginning process. So forage to fromage. I'm the fromage part. Mike is the forage part, not resembling digging around for mushrooms. It's a different form of forage. (laughs) So it seemed like a, a, a nice little retirement thing to do. Artisan cheese, education, and consulting.
1: Awesome. I have this now I have this <laughs> this this visual of uh Mike uh digging holes in <laughs> random random <laughs> gullies and
3: <laughs> in forested areas hoping to find a wheel of cheddar. But I'm sure that's that's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, and, and from my side, I've, I've been in the dairy industry since I was born. So I grew up on a dairy farm just north of Madison, so farm boy, and continued on with my schooling with a master's degree in dairy nutrition, and that's what I've been doing ever since, too. So working in the dairy nu- nutrition industry, working with the cows, and the production side of things. Wow. So it's okay. kind of fun to see, you know, and, and then the passion extends beyond just the milk that's produced and sold off the farm, it's what happens to it. And one of those great things that can happen to it is wonderful cheese out there. And, you know, in addition to the milk is
2: going to influence the quality of the cheese. So that's the feed part. You have to have good quality feed and good quality milk to make an awesome cheese.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Um, You know, I have long been... uh, Passionate fan of cheese. <laughs> I feel like there's just certain foods that are vehicles to get cheese into my body. Jason mentioned pasta. That's that's a good you know good way to do it. Burgers. Um, I've always liked cheese, and you know, growing up, it was like Colby on a sandwich, cottage cheese. I remember the first time I had like blue cheese crumbles on something, and I was like. Huh. This smells weird, but it tastes really good. And so, um I'm curious uh to hear, you know, you you both have roots in cheese, but talk to me a little bit about how Forage to Fromage came to be.
2: Well, it was uh, it was an opportunity for me. Uh there being in I, I worked at a grocery store where I was the cheesemonger. And just kind of kept getting hit with questions. Can you come and you know do a class for us? We'd love to learn about brie. We'd love to pair this. We'd love to have an, an interactive course at different locations. And I'm like, hey, yeah, uh, I'm on. So I'll bring you cheese and we'll start pairing things. Uh, so it was an opportunity to have a class. And then I realized that there was much more of a demand for it, uh, that everybody, the, Going to classes is a really, people love to do that. It's an experience. Mm-hmm. It's outside of their, their comfort zone. It is a destination. Um, maybe make it an overnight or whatever. But it seemed like a really awesome opportunity. And it didn't involve Tupperware or Pampered Chef, sorry, <laughs> um, to have a party. So it just, the opportunity presented itself. I started doing some classes and uh, then decided that it was a really good place for a business. Okay. And I'm passionate about cheese, uh, education, and consulting. Same, same thing with, uh, you know, brewers just in general. They're passionate about education. Yeah. They want to tell the story. Yeah. Everybody loves to hear the story. So I started the business um, in uh, uh, 2019, June 12th. So it's pretty young yet. But it seems to be taking off hugely in these days with all the virtual needs. I've been doing a lot of virtual courses, a ton of them, corporate and other courses. Uh, And uh, so it's kind of fun to get back into the in-person thing a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So so talk to me how the logistics of doing a virtual cheese class works. Like if somebody, you know, I, I know that like we're, you know, kind of like on the, we're we're, I feel like we're out of the worst part of the pandemic, but it's still there. So if people are not really comfortable doing the in-person thing, how how does talk to us about how that logistically would work? Like if somebody wanted to do a virtual cheese pairing with, uh, um, forage to fromage, how would that go?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Get in contact with me. Um, I've been trying to keep up on the website with events, but truthfully, a, a custom event is the best way to do it. Uh, So, yeah, the the beauty of the virtual thing is that, you know, Mother's Day and mom is across the country and sisters over here and sisters over there. So they can have a virtual event where it brings them all together. Uh, They get to see each other. They get to eat some good cheese and enjoy some beer or wine or whatever. And so it's a much more of a social event uh, and something fun. It makes a great gift also, but yeah, get in contact with me. We can add that to the contact information, direct email or whatever, and we can mm-hmm. do something custom.
1: And I know that you have so there is a Forage to Fromage Facebook, a Forage to Fromage Instagram, mm-hmm. and a, a, a website. Website. Yep. Okay. Yep.
2: So my Instagram is Carrie J Cheese Whiz, Nice. With a Z <laughs> at the end. And yeah, that's intended pun. Um, and uh, Forged to Formage uh, Facebook, but also Forged to Formage website and email. Um, so I can spell it. Out. I'm not sure how to communicate that. We will at the event. So you got to come to the event, and yes. you can get all of my information.
1: Yes. But yes. yeah, the
2: virtual is still hanging on. Um, I keep doing corporate events through other entities. So if you need a team building for like 200 people, I've been doing those.
1: Oh, fun. So for the virtual, if somebody gets in contact with you and let's say they, they want to do it via Zoom because their mm-hmm. group of friends, maybe it's their, their group of college friends are scattered throughout the U.S. and Nicaragua and they want to do something online. Um, how do they go about getting the cheese? Like, that's, that's, that's one thing like I've thought about doing like virtual tastings. But how do you guarantee that, that everybody has access to the
2: same thing to taste? Exactly. There's lots of options there. I'm not sure about getting fresh product to Nicaragua. Where
1: well, there's a will, there's a way. They got a copy machine here. I mean, we we can make it. We can make it happen. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, there's there's lots of different options as far as getting fresh product to folks. This is a bad season for trying to do that. But there's other ways to have a fun virtual event. I do a lot of cheese board building classes. Ooh. And uh, essentially what I do is I charge a minimal fee and um, give them a shopping list.
1: Okay. okay.
2: Because it's all about concept and it's all about um, what you have available to you to work with. And that's what I work with. Awesome. So if you have, you know, we're gonna get into craft singles here pretty quick. Boy, if oh that's boy. all you have, we'll Don't work with craft, craft singles. Don't talk dirty. Don't talk dirty. If all you have is sardines, I'll try.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you
2: know. So that's one that's it's a virtual where folks can really uh, they can customize it themselves, and it becomes more fun for me because I like to see the format that they have, and teach people how to work with what they have in front of them. What is local for them to create the best experience?
1: Okay, and you know I'm like I I'm a I'm a I love going out to breweries. I just got back from two weeks in San Diego, and I was I was going to breweries and taco stands, and I like traveling, and I like um, obviously tasting beer is really fun, but also getting to know the people behind the beer and the people that work at the breweries, and I think you can really get a good sense of a community by visiting a brewery and kind of talking to people. That's how we first met at the Lupulin anniversary party, uh, back in Man. the spring. Yeah. And so I guess one of my questions for you, uh, is what's the most, uh, satisfying aspect of getting to know different creameries and people behind them?
2: Exactly that getting to know the people, uh, A lot of our makers, uh, small producers, large producers, are not necessarily, uh, the revenue stream isn't there, the passion is. Mm -hmm. And um, learning about their process and why they're doing what they're doing. The passion, really, honestly, is the the interest in what they're producing. It, like I said, they're not going to get a. It's not a cash cow. Can I put yeah. it down? Yeah.
1: No pun intended. Okay. Right. Although that was a gouda pun.
2: <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Come to Jesus.
1: <laughs> is there like so? I mean, a lot of times, you know, the what? What's the? Is it always like? the same like what's the demographic of somebody who is running a creamery is it a certain age demographic or is it kind of like all over the board because you mentioned passion i would think like you know anytime you you talk about passion a lot of people you know they they work a job that they got a degree for and they realize 10 15 years in they're like this is just i'm just punching a card and counting the hours but this isn't what i really want to do um is it people that, you know, started right out, you know, maybe they grew up on a farm, they wanted to carry on the family legacy, or, you know, they got caught up in a Ponzi scheme and were like, I got to get out of this before I, <laughs> I don't look well in orange and wanted to, like, you know, get into the, the cheese business. What, what are the typical, like, who, is, is there a certain type of, of creamery uh, owner, cheese
2: maker, or is it kind of all over the board? Uh second. Uh, it's all over the board. Mm. Uh, just like uh, we've experienced that a lot of, uh, um, especially mead and beer makers, tend to be engineers. And mm-hmm. it totally makes sense. You know, a former chemical engineer, a former electrical engineer got tired of the punch card and took their ability to organize and to create a process into making something creative. Mm. Uh, No, actually, the the cheesemaker that might be joining us at 4.15. Let me see. (laughs) Uh, I have to reply to that. We have a cheesemaker coming this direction. Oh, wow. Uh, And I'll reply to that in a minute. But that cheesemaker, she knew when she was 14 she wanted to make cheese. Oh, cool. She went to a Future Farmers of America. It's FFA, is Future Farmers of America? Yeah. Uh, camp when she was young, and she knew that that's what she wanted to do. And thank goodness that her family was in the industry and is extremely supportive. So, mm. and that's Redhead Creamery. They're in Burton, oh, Minnesota. Okay,
1: okay, I've heard of them. And yeah.
2: Two of our cheeses for this event are from Redhead, and actually, we were probably, we had to restrain ourselves because there's a number of cheeses from Redhead that worked really well. Yeah. Um, so, that's one aspect. I think that. Uh, like you said, you know, tired of the punch card, perhaps, mm-hmm. but also being involved in the industry and having that knowledge. Sure. Making cheese is extremely complicated, as well as I'm sure Jason can appreciate beer making. Yeah. How'd you get into it, Jason? Uh, uh,
0: <clears throat> I got suckered into uh, this industry for the fact that I never wanted to drink what my dad drank. So I didn't want to drink the MGD, didn't want to drink the Coors. I've always had a passion for, like, food and beverages. So, uh, you know, on my 18th birthday, I had my mom take me down to the local homebrew shop, picked up my first homebrew kit because I thought I had to be 21 to buy it. You do not. Um, I think you can – can't you brew beer at, like, age 16? You can brew it. It's groceries. Yeah. Like, there's – Yeah, that's crazy. Nothing stopping you. So yeah. it's, like, I was, like, nervous. Like, I thought I was, like, being all taboo and breaking some laws here. Um, so I just started – brewing beer when I was 18. And from there, started working in a retail shop that sold cheese making supplies, homebrew supplies, wine supplies. And then from there, I ended up at Lupulin. So it was just kind of a, a progression for me.
1: That's cool. I, I have several books that I've read on cheese making. And it sounds like I've done a little bit of homebrewing but people have told me like if you can brew beer, you can probably brew cheese. It's a lot of like making sure everything is sanitized, understanding ingredients, and different things. And I always wondered like, hmm, do I want to start making cheese? Like that sounds really, uh, really fun, but really kind of intimidating. Because um, there's a lot of I mean, I've I've <laughs> the first batch of beer I brewed back in the day I followed all the instructions with a friend and then we got to the end of it and we picked up this little uh, packet of pellets that looked like hamster food we were like what do you suppose these are for <laughs> well those were the hops and uh probably was hamster food, so man. you know i i was ahead of my time we made a hard seltzer nice. <laughs> it was, uh, and we you know we waited the appropriate time for everything to ferment and then we were like well we should drink it to see if it worked <laughs> and it was just disgusting, but there was alcohol in there. so. Um, and, and I was like, you know, maybe I'm not ready for cheese making yet. but it, it sounds fascinating. Uh, as far as like the climate that we're in, I know like depending on where you go in the world, where they have like caves where they age the cheese. If you wanted to like make cheese in your house, what sort of like a room or temperature do you need?
2: The simple cheese making is usually what most folks are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ricotta, mozzarella, super simple cheese makes. As far as aging cheese, well, you can't do that in your home as per MDA. Um, so, don't tell anyone. Uh, but actually, if you have like a wine refrigerator uh, uh, that has climate control,
1: Okay. It is also like the a perfect. Keggerator with a Johnson controlled. T- Keggerator. Okay. I'm okay.
2: So humidity and temperature control. It's a cave, essentially.
1: Another question I have, because uh, I I thought of this as you were as you were speaking, and I think that when I traveled to Europe after I graduated from college in France, I had a revolutionary, eye-opening, blow-the-doors-off-your-palate experience with Camembert Mm. that was runny and kind of pungent and creamy and grassy, and it had so much flavor. And then when I came back, I Mm -hmm. went to the grocery store and got Camembert, and I'm using air quotes, because what I was sold was... Like a foam rubber hockey puck of crap. And I was like, wait, this isn't runny. This isn't. And so I know that with like government regulation in the United States, a lot of those farm cheeses that, you know, you when you have us, you know, that experience are hard to find. So a question I want to send everybody around with is what was your like artisan cheese aha experience like? And we'll we'll start with Jason.
0: So, the cheese that I've had that like aha moment has been a blue cheese, and it's happened twice. Uh, the first time was going back to uh, a burger, it was a black and blue burger with blue cheese in there at Granite City, mm. and that's what turned me onto the stinky stuff. And then again, at the anniversary party, when someone brought me some Glacier Creamery. Yeah,
2: I have some in there.
0: Um, <laughs> right blue in there. cheese. And that yep. was one of those <laughs> moments where it was just like, okay. I keep like rolling back into that blue cheese. And it's like, okay, this is great. This is good. So that was kind of my aha uh-huh, coming to cheese this moment with Ooh, uh, there it is. some blue cheese. <laughs> so that one keeps me coming back. So
2: I don't know when I had an aha moment. It seems like every cheese that I have, the last one was an aha moment. As far as uh, back in the memory cells, it's uh, it's fresh cheese curds in Wisconsin. Mm. It's like the standard you can't get to. And if you want to discuss why the camembert is different, we'll probably need to do a different podcast. Oh,
1: sure. Yeah, that'll be part two.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of the same thing. We've been eating cheese for such a long time. But, um, I mean, I, a lot of times... Um, some of those moments also become uh, happen because of the experience, mm-hmm. so not just the taste. So I've had opportunity with, uh, with my job to travel around the world, and I've been in Parmigiano-Reggiano factories. And being oh able to <laughs> then taste, you know, Parmigiano-Reggiano, the real stuff, right directly out of a wheel after it's been aged, you know, and, and cracked open. Yeah, or the okay. callback caves in Switzerland for some of the alpines and things, but it, it's just tying together, and that's the fun part of this artisan side of things, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not always just the product; it can also be the story and the experience and everything else, and the people that go with it. Yep. So,
1: yeah, well, and I think you hit on such an important thing, and that's why that's why people love to come to breweries, and um, you know, you, I, I totally believe that uh, your recollection of, of a, either a food or a beer can very much be influenced by the ambiance, the experience. Um, I still remember my first time coming up to Lupulin mm-hmm. in August of 2016 and having, um, I think I had the, they're, they're blonde, but they also had they did it. Do you remember back when? Maybe this. How long have you, Jason? How so you 2016
0: here? is gonna put me uh, like one year out. Like I was not quite here okay, yet. Okay. Okay. But I'm guessing Belgian Blonde and yeah,
1: it was Belgian Blonde. They had a. They were. They had just brewed strictly illegal. Ooh. And they had. They were on the tail end, so they had this series of IPAs that they would do called Blissful Ignorance. And I tried number four which was a hazy double IPA. And I had just come back from the East Coast going to The Alchemist, going to Trillium, going to Bissell Brothers. And um, I, I was sitting with uh, Aaron, Jeff, and Matt. They cracked this, this bomber of this number four. And I was like, you guys this tastes like exactly like Hetty Topper. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so where, can I buy a couple more bottles to take home? I like, well, this was it. And this is usually, this, this series at the time was just kind of a one-and-done type thing. And I was like, this can't be a one-and-done beer. And that beer eventually became Blissful Ignorance, the double IPA that you can find at your local uh, liquor stores and Watering Hole's. And here at the tap room, Jason is drinking it right now. Um, but, you know, that, that experience of coming up here and, and meeting the people and just having a good time, I also believe that we they brought me into the back. Now, the brew house was not... I mean, the brew house was before the door back then. Mm. And so they brought me into this, this area that was just a big cavernous space and there were you know there were some some offices over here and there were some barrels and they had barrel god in i believe a wild turkey barrel yeah. that they pulled a nail from and i got to try that and that was you know instant beer nirvana it was such a fantastic experience so i think that we we can be almost transported to uh, a euphoric state in you know when you're when you're at the place, you can see where things are being made. You've got the aromas. You're having the the you're having great conversation with people, and and that's a big part of why I think it's important for people to get out and go to their local breweries, go to their local creameries, their local whatever, because you do have an enhanced um, experience. So. I want to get into kind of, like, the basics of how does one taste cheese. Because I think, you know, a lot of people like cheese. But like anything, when you want to really kind of break it down and and really get nerdy about it, uh, I think sometimes that can be a little bit intimidating. So for the listeners, can you explain kind of what are the basics of, like, tasting cheese like what do you need to know how do you prepare do you need to sign a waiver Um, do you need a safe word gorgonzola that's always mine in (laughs) in any situation gorgonzola is my safe (laughs) word so uh talk to us about the basics of cheese tasting
2: uh basics of cheese tasting yeah we could go on for a while here uh basics of cheese tasting taste everything to start with it's okay. Um, if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. You can spit it out, whatever. There's no judgment. Basics of cheese tasting is to make sure that you taste what's in front of you. And uh, as far as the process goes, bring your cheeses up to room temperature. Oh, okay. That's Definitely. good to know. And that will bloom the flavor. Uh, they've, been, they've been hanging in a cave, which usually runs around 55 to 60 degrees.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's where they're best.
1: So very similar to like a like a a, a high gravity multi beer like a Belgian mm-hmm. quad or like a imperial stout you want to kind of let it get up to yep. room temperature to kind of like like you said bloom the flavor get it those uh, yes, aromatics exactly. interesting okay Yeah
2: because uh, sometimes when it's when it's too cold it just completely dulls it Yeah which I don't know might be your best drink but uh truthfully the the maker has has made the cheese For their specific conditions that they want it to be enjoyed. Now, room temperature is not 85. So, yes, don't... Yeah, don't
1: taste cheese in a peyote sweat lodge. No. That's not going to get you the optimal experience.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sweaty people and sweaty cheese are not pretty. Uh, <laughs> oh, the dreaded sweaty
1: cheese. That ring, that brings me back to like all the high school graduation parties. You know, you get that cheese platter right. it's like out in the backyard. It's like there. curling up. This this thing looks like uh, FloJo after the 400 relay. What's going on here? Why is that happening? Oh.
2: <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's, uh, you eat with your eyes first, right?
1: Yeah, why right. <laughs> is my food sweating? <laughs> my food's sweating.
2: <laughs> Go elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> and, of course, uh, uh, just soft cheeses, like your brie, your camembert, your um, Havarti, uh, those soft cheeses are, take about a half hour to come up to room temp and harder cheeses an okay. hour, and you can give harder cheeses even more time. Uh, especially like an aged Gouda, it totally changes. A fun experiment, because we're curd nerds, a fun experiment is to uh, keep a chunk of aged Gouda in the refrigerator and keep one out at room temperature and taste the difference. Oh, okay. It's huge, absolutely huge. But as far as actually tasting in your mouth, it's very similar to beer tasting. What do you want to do? You want to move it around your mouth, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Let it kind of melt in your palate. Okay. And uh, that way you get the entirety of its taste profile. Uh, People always ask me about rind, which is another aspect I'll talk about right here. Do you eat the rind? Well, if you like it, eat it. If you don't, don't. Okay. Uh, The rind is always something that you want to taste because that's where the action is. That's how that cheese is made, that cheese if the cheese has a rind. But if you don't care for it, it doesn't add to your experience, you don't need to eat it. Now, is
0: the rind mostly wax?
2: It depends on the cheese. cheese. There's quite a lot oh, of them question. that are, are rindless. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like your store uh, grocery store cheddars are not going to have a rind on them. It's consistent beginning to end, top to bottom. It's the same texture entirely. Uh, No, wax is pretty much only seen on Gouda's. Oh, yeah. And it's not going to kill you. It just doesn't add to your experience. So you're not going to find anything that is completely inedible on a cheese. A lot of them are natural rinded cheeses, and those are the ones that are aged in caves. And they can be, like, seriously funky. They can be, like, you know, like wet dog slash grandma's basement floor smell. And uh, Mm. and the interior, I know, right?
1: Anybody else hungry? Yum, (laughs) yum, yum! yum.
2: And but the interior is completely different. Yeah, yeah. Especially washed rind cheeses, and uh, so it's that's the adventure: tasting up, down, side to side, and beginning to end. Uh, But most of them are going to be natural rinded cheeses. The only one that's not edible is a cloth bound, like a cloth bound cheddar. Have you seen cloth-bound shutters before?
0: I've seen some like where they like wrap it in like a cheesecloth and mm-hmm. kind of just keep it damp and moist so that it can age yep. out. I have seen it.
2: I have not done it. Usually when you uh, find it in the store, the cloth is already gone. So it's not a big oh, okay. deal. Okay, okay. If you got a whole wheel that's cloth-bound, you'll have cloth on it. It's just another way of making sure the cheese ages how the effiner would like to eat, have it aged. Okay, so. okay interesting that's a question i kind of went off like no that's that's good
1: i mean the room temperature i think that's a good good thing i guess i don't always i mean i'm gonna be honest sometimes when i get a
0: hankering for some cheese i don't have time to wait i'm hungry i got (laughs) a tip for that yeah so put it in your pocket leave it in your pocket for like 10 to 15 minutes walk around pull her on out she's nice warm (laughs) through Please remember it. Right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've had a couple of them where it's like sitting on the couch enjoying a Blissful or a Barrel God, and like an hour and a half later, that string cheese is no longer
1: cheesy. (laughs) Go for a walk around the block and... Don't forget your pocket cheese. Um, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the the room temperature thing makes so much sense. Um, I w- something that you said that I'm I'm really interested in is the experiment about the aged Gouda in the fridge mm-hmm. and on the counter. How long can you leave a, a cheese on the counter? Like, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm imagining you know they have like, um, like the glass top and the board. Yep. Is that you know kind of is that kind of how you would do that or
2: Leaving a cheese on the counter. Well, there's... I mean, that's what uh, the larder... So you guys remember what a larder is? You're too young.
1: I am. Isn't it like a <laughs> cellar kind of a thing?
2: It's basically a well-ventilated cupboard.
1: Okay, yeah.
2: Uh, where you would keep your cheeses. Uh, but uh, leaving a cheese on the counter, it totally depends on the cheese. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, whether or not it's wrapped or just domed, and so it doesn't uh, It doesn't dry out for you. Um I don't really necessarily want to do a plug, but I'm going to. Yeah, go for it. Um, A lot of the classes I've been doing have been through Cheese Grotto. And Cheese Grotto is a countertop cave. It's uh, invented by Jessica Sennett, and you can can buy these guys. It's designed to be a little cave, so it has climate control because you can put it in your fridge or put it on the counter. It has uh, humidity control because you, you soak the brick that's in the bottom, and there's a little vent on the backside. This is designed to be a cave that your cheeses do not need to be wrapped in. Okay. And on the counter, hard cheeses, I would leave them for about seven days in the grotto. You can do that. And that's and soft cheeses, uh, maybe just a couple days. Hmm. Uh, and there you can actually age cheeses in it. Cool little uh, countertop contraption that I... Don't need to
0: have, but then I'm probably gonna buy shortly. because... Well, and it houses
2: cigars. Right? Well, I was gonna just
0: say it's like a little humidor. yeah, that's
1: what, what it's I was thinking. Humidor. Like a humidor. Mm-hmm. I mean, if let's be honest, in my house, if a cheese is sitting on the counter, it's not making it seven days. Ditto. The only reason that cheese survives is because it's in the fridge, and I visually can't see it, and, and I kind of forget about, about it because I'm really like a stupid animal, just kind of like <laughs> you know, I'm foraging around, and like if if cheese is out, it's it's. It's going on some, <laughs> on some crackers. <laughs> um, and, and
2: part of our cheese education will be, like, what to look for that is not good mm. on your cheeses. Okay. And, and, and as far as the class, because we have some soft cheeses, and we don't really want to have certain molds on sure, them. We sure. need to look for, be a smart consumer.
1: That, so that, that's, that's interesting. So here's a, here's a question, because I think that, um, myself included, I think that, you know, cheese, there's a lot to know. And it can be intimidating. So, you know, I think wh- back in the day, I was uh, very much a connoisseur of the craft single. Um, so for the craft single person, um, what's the best way to kind of step into cheese tasting? Is there such a thing as a gateway cheese?
2: Well, sure. You can go to Velveeta from there. and no, I'm just kidding. Queso <laughs> <laughs> dip, <laughs> here we come. There, there is a place for Velveeta. Yes, yes. Um, but actually, what is it about craft singles that you like that 's where we 'll start
1: well, I honestly
0: <laughs> likes unwrapping them
1: <laughs> it 's more okay. of a what is that those videos on the internet a s m r those like uh like very like um i don 't know they 're all about the the sounds of certain foods mm. uh what I liked about honestly it melts well. Mm. A grilled cheese sandwich with Kraft singles is always going to melt well. It's a known entity. I feel like it's a comfort food. Um, I know it's not high class, but like, you know, also on burgers, I feel like um, American singles melt really well in a burger and they taste fine. Obviously, I've kind of like grown out of it, but like in a pinch I don't feel bad about putting Kraft singles on a burger or something, but I think it's just like it's more of a You know, consistent melt. Sometimes I'll put different cheeses on burgers, and they're they get real oily real fast. And so I don't know because of the weird science that happens at Kraft, they seem to melt really well.
0: I have to second that whole comfort thing, like mom's grilled cheese with that Kraft Singles bowl of tomato soup, or slapping it on a burger. That's you're talking at some heartstrings there.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know so maybe familiarity i don't know but yeah so like somebody who wants to move beyond that what's a good what's a good gateway cheese
2: oh absolutely if they if they're interested in moving beyond them uh, actually okay <laughs> um, so what i heard from you was you like the unwrapping because yes. that has some Very much some so. <laughs> mem- memories for you yep and you like the meltability Right. And uh, uh, the comfort aspect of it. So it's something you've had in your past. Yep. Right. So as far as a gateway beyond that, without being able to replicate the, the memories and the, the uh, um, background of it, you know, actually try a baby bell mm. because they have the ability to unwrap their decent cheese. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do have a they can hang out in your lunch basket for quite a while. Another pocket cheese for me. Another by the way. pocket cheese. Another shoes. pocket <laughs> cheese. Someone's always riding in there. Softening
1: I up. wanna. I wanna. I. I. I'm not. You know, I don't want to presume anything here, but I bet if we went into Jason's basement, he has a probably like a menagerie of Baby Bell uh, wax that he has crafted into like <laughs> yeah. different animals, uh, former presidents and uh, international dignitaries. Um, Baby Bell cheeses. I'm glad you said that because that's one of my quick and easy juicy lucies. That's mm-hmm. like the perfect amount of cheese oh. to wrap ground beef around and throw on the grill. And it melts perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a very good, Clever. You know, kind of yeah. It, it, you're definitely right. It has that creaminess. Mm-hmm. It melts well, and it's got good flavor. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, the baby bells, and I always have. I call them the uh, the fishnet of cheese. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> I, I always, I always have. Well, a, they
2: come in a little fishnet uh, bag. Yeah,
1: yeah. they. Uh, <laughs> So I've got some in my fridge right now. I always grab one when I need a snack. It's great. So Baby Bell cheese, that's a a good kind of jumping off point. Um, Okay, so uh, the next thing I want to talk about is obviously people who go out to breweries go to breweries because they want to drink local. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing, going to local places, and I wanted to kind of... Uh, pick your brains about what are some of the Minnesota and western Wisconsin creameries that you would like to say are worth a visit. And I, I think we should probably, I kind of want to break it down into, like, a, a specific to Minnesota, we could talk Twin Cities, like inside the 494, 694 loop, and then it, we're talking outstate. You know, if you want to do, like, a day trip, would there be, like, a couple-hour drive to go to a creamery. I mean, you, you know you're going to hit some breweries. Kind of like a creamery
0: there. trail where you
2: could go to like one, two, and Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yes, just... Dashboard, cheese board.
1: That's right. Ooh, I like that Yeah, idea. we do
2: have a number of recommendations. Um, so yeah. inside the loop, um, if no one has been to the food building, that is an urban creamery and an urban bakery and uh, urban... Uh, There's actually a pasta maker there, and Red Table Meats is there. So this food building in northeast Minneapolis houses Alomar Cheese. Mm. And uh, it's quite a beautiful conglomerate. Alomar Cheese was started by uh, Keith Adams, who is currently making cheese in California in Sebastopol. So he took his cheese making out to California, but his daughter uh, is still making cheese here in the food building. Okay. Dominantly soft, ripened cheese. So if you like your breeze, you like your camembert, you like your funky washed rinds, that is dominantly what they make. But it's a place to go. Oh, uh, they're fresh-made pasta, uh, meal kits. Uh, it's just, it is like the perfect setup. Karen's Kitchen. Remember, you know, Karen?
1: The Irish Bar? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep.
2: This is his space.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. So interesting.
2: Kier- yeah. Kieran's Kitchen, he started this space in the food building, and he sources, or they source from basically everybody else in the building.
1: Okay. Interesting. Cool.
2: So it's a really interesting setup. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to go to Wisconsin. Okay. A good day trip is to Marika. It's in Thorpe, Wisconsin, Okay. just outside of Chippewa Falls. Okay. Not just outside. It's, it's a good trip. You can hit Lineys, You can go to Marika Gouda. Um, and it's a really a cool destination because you can tour the barn. You can see the animals. You can get, visit the creamery uh, and uh, see the aging room also. Oh, okay. So you can see the, the stacks and stacks of Gouda cheese in there. And they have phenomenal cheese, so it's a really cool destination. Awesome. And here's my other destination that just came in behind me.: Okay,
1: so we've got uh... This is
2: Minnesota.:
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, don't
2: you know. <laughs> so this is, this is Redhead Creamery. And, oh, and the cool. resident Redhead is standing in front of you guys. Awesome. Awesome.: So this is Elise and Lucas Scholstrom. I pronounced that right, didn't I? All right, cool beans. Um, so yeah, actually, that's where I'm headed on Sunday. It's a great road trip in Bruton, Minnesota, about two hours west of here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stop at Milk and Honey Ciders along the way. Oh, nice. Just a warning. (laughs) So (laughs) so she'll be
1: extra chatty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the same thing holds true. They have, uh, you can get a farm tour, you can visit the Animals Great Bistro. Um, We just uh, finished up with uh, Curd Fest on June 19th, I believe it was. And Mike and I volunteered for that. It was solid on people, tasting cheese. It was absolutely amazing. But uh, talk about local. I mean, everything there is local. Okay. So uh, everything that you source is local. The cows are right there on farm. And it's farmstead creamery. So literally, the milk is coming from the milk house into the creamery, and the cheese is made right there on site.
1: Awesome. Perfect. I've, I've heard about you all I have not been out there yet But I do love cheese
2: Two of the cheeses in the tasting kit for our class Come from Redhead Okay Elise, can you want, is that yeah, okay? Yeah, Elise,
1: uh, grab, a, grab a microphone there a, a
2: little, I got
1: uh, some yeah. warm up questions for you I don't know if you, you, know, you were practicing in the car but
4: uh, I wasn't, but here I am
1: First <laughs> First question for you What is your favorite thing to put cheese on And why?
4: My favorite thing... I have never been asked that question, so I, know, I am I, grateful I, I, for that.
1: I'm like the uh, podcasting version of <laughs> Hugh Downs. I, I get to the... I ask the tough questions. Uh, I love it. So, yeah.
4: And stalling so that I can think of a good answer. My favorite thing to put cheese on um, is probably tater tots at this point. Yes. Though I do put cheese and fruit together a lot because... You need to balance the two a lot, though okay. um, coffee and cheese are my staple. So
1: It's interesting. I've been uh, writing my congressman uh, so far uh, to no avail to make tachos part of the food pyramid and give them their own level. So the cheese on the, on the tater tots <laughs> is very interesting. Uh, my second warm-up question for you, and thank you for answering the first one so well, um, is what was your cheese... Uh, your artisan cheese aha moment.
4: I was 16 at uh, Crave Brothers Farmstead Cheese in Waterloo, Wisconsin on a 4-H trip. Uh, You know, how legit is that? And um, was holding a piece of their string cheese at their creamery, which is across the road from their dairy farm, where they're pipelining the milk under the road over to their cheese plant. And it was literally like, this is what I'm gonna do. Wow, that's Um, so cool. They, it's four brothers that are managing and running that farm, which I'm learning now some of their other siblings who are retiring are now coming back and participating uh, with the farm and creamery side of things. Um, I have three sisters, they have many brothers, but also sisters. And it was just that moment where I was like, this clicks. This this makes sense for me. That's so, so
1: awesome. Yeah. So tell us about your creamery.
4: Sure. So we, uh, like Carrie mentioned, we're a farmstead creamery. Okay. So we have the cows right on site. We pipeline the milk right over to the cheese plant, over to um, pasteurize. And so that, that milk is harvested from the cow that morning. And it's fresh cheese curds by that afternoon, or whatever else we're making for the day. Okay. Um, which is super cool. To you know, most dairy farmers, they milk their cows, they send that milk to the bulk tank, a milk truck comes and picks it up, and it's gone. They don't have any other part of the process of finishing that product. Sure. So we have the opportunity to, you know to have full impact of what that cow experiences in its life, what it eats, what that milk is. Then we get to turn it into a finished product and have people eat it right on site, which is pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. Now, this might be a really stupid question. I, uh, Jason, before you chastise me, I know there's a difference between dairy cows and beef cows. However, what species of dairy cow do you have? Or the, or is that just like a dairy cow is like they're all the same species?
4: No, that's a legit question. Okay. You're good. Well, there we go.
1: <laughs> Hugh Downs there reporting are, there for are, duty. There
4: are seven different uh, breeds. Okay, so, um But we have two of those primarily, uh, the Holstein cow, the black and white cow that most... Most people are familiar with is the majority of what we have. Uh, My parents are very big on registered Holstein cows. So having the heritage, knowing the heritage of those cows and breeding for good genetics and continually improving our herd uh, is something that my parents have always been into. Uh, And then we also have brown Swiss. Uh, which are the same size of cow, uh, but they're very pretty and very, they're brown and big brown eyes. Yeah, those big brown eyes, like, should yes. put
2: mascara on them every morning. We could put
4: there. mascara on them. <laughs> um, and um, we have brown Swiss because my second sister, Emily, when we were in 4-H, decided she wasn't going to show cows anymore in 4-H because she's just sick of losing. And, <laughs> and so, and my parents, and so Bet she wanted something. That was an awkward dinner time. Right? Yeah. We had <laughs> no, a lot of those. All we
1: heard was <laughs> the clinking of the forks on the plate. Nobody wanted to say anything.
4: <laughs> so, um, she thought if she says that she's going to get out of this, she doesn't have to show cattle anymore. And my dad came home one day from a livestock auction and bought her a brown Swiss heifer. So an animal that hadn't calved yet or had a calf. And so this beautiful brown Swiss heifer and um, the poor thing, it was the middle of winter and so they clipped the the heifer for the sale to make it look extra nice so its hair was cut shorter and it was made to look extra special for the sale. And so we kept it in the barn where it was treated extra special uh, all winter long because it's extra cold out. But anyways, so my sister shows this brown Swiss at the county fair the next year Wins her class, takes it to the state fair, ends up winning the champion brown Swiss. So wow. she is now forever the brown Swiss girl because we're not going to let her down about that.
1: Sweet. <laughs> that's great. That's cool. Well, that's uh, so what, how many different um, varieties of cheese can one purchase at your creamery?
4: Depends on the time of year. Okay. Uh, In the summertime, more than ever, uh, we like to have fun varieties. During farmers mar- farmers market season, uh, as people love their spicy versions of cheddar, so we make sure that we have those available. Okay, um, but we have kind of like five or six primary core cheeses that we make, and then kind of play from there, uh, depending on the type of year it is or the season that we're getting ready for. Um, but we we start with fresh cheese curds. We have a cloth-bound cave-aged cheddar. Uh, That ages for a minimum of six months, up to about 18 months to two years. Lucky Linda, Linda, named after my mother, Linda. Oh, nice. She was just so darn lucky to have four redheaded daughters. Yes. (laughs) She she always jokes that she pinches herself every morning. Um, (laughs) uh, We also make our little Lucy Brie, named after our daughter, Lucy. She now calls it Lucy Brie. She is eight years old, no Mm, longer little. Not little anymore. Nope. Um, Henry's Havarti, named after our son Henry. Uh, And then a variety from there. St. Anthony is kind of a happy mistake of ours. Uh, It's an original that is one of our sole national award-winning cheeses. Wow. It's washed with whiskey from Panther Distillery in Osakis. Oh, okay, okay. Um, And then our North Fork Munster is a soft, stinky, gooey cheese that's also washed with that same whiskey. So that one is my personal favorite uh, and goes well with some really good beer.
1: Okay. Well, uh, speaking of really good beer, luckily we're at Lupulin Brewing Company right here in their conference room. So I feel like um, my little... My, my pint glass it looks is down sad. to it. I mean, might need a refill here. So we're going to take a break, and then we're going to talk uh, details about an upcoming beer and cheese class at Lupulin Brewing Company happening on Saturday, August 7th, from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m., and we're going to talk about the details for that. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. <laughs>
0: This is Maddie Atlantic from Ring General Radio, and you are listening to a one-pint stand right here on the 4D Podcast Network.
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you're enjoying a one-pint stand. Our aim is to help spread the word of the amazing thing we call craft beer. Enjoying fantastic beer is a passion of ours, and we love chatting about it with other people. A one-pint stand has a goal of helping breweries tell their stories with us. So we attempt to cover all things beer, both local and regional. If you like what you hear and you want to follow us on social media, just search up A One-Pint Stand and you can find our Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter. We would love more followers, so add us on any and all social platforms. We're trying to broaden our audience, and so if you like the show, tell a friend, or better yet, Give us a review on iTunes to help make it easier for other craft beer geeks to find us. Lastly, we're being brought to you by the fine folks at the 4D Podcast Network. Give their Facebook page a like and check out some of the other great shows that are on the network, like Ring General Radio, Twins and Losses, and CultureCast. Those are just a few of many. They literally have something for everybody. I'm thankful that you're taking time to listen to our podcast and celebrate this wonderful thing we call craft beer. Now, back to the show. Our whistles are wet, and our cheese is room temperature. <laughs> we're back here for the second uh, the second half of this wonderful yet cheesy discussion about beer and cheese, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. Now, you've probably... Maybe you've got your hoity-toity neighbors down the way who... They love to drink their wine and they think wine is the only liquid on the face of the planet that you can pair with food and they would be wrong because beer and cheese pairing is where it's at. So I want to start off with a question and anybody who wants to kind of jump in can, uh, can say so, but why is pairing beer with cheese something that works so well?
2: Because it does. There we go. All right. Well, no, thanks no, no, no. for joining no, no. us, everyone. <laughs> this has been a fabulous show. <laughs> there's a world of, of cheeses and there's a world of beer. And there's so many opportunities to combine and contrast with beer and cheese. Um, it's hard to categorize, because, especially because of our, our artists and cheesemakers and our craft brewers. It's hard to categorize styles of beer and styles of cheese into this goes with this. So I think that actually makes it kind of fun, and I already said earlier that cows don't eat grapevines. So you have a source uh, of uh, beer comes from grains, and lots of other things that I'm sure Jason can pipe in. What goes? What uh, sources do you have for your beer fermentation? Like, uh, like what? Products that we use? Correct. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things that
0: we've always prided ourselves on is the fact that we try to reduce as much of the waste that we have. So we actually have a couple of Mm -hmm. local uh, farmers that raise cattle, and uh, we use the grain, and we actually end up giving them the grain so that they can feed their cattle for the winter months. Mm -hmm. Um, So going back to how cows don't eat grapevines, they do eat grain, so it's, I mean... Starting at the cow, you got the beer going through the cow, and we're making cheese from the cow, so... Beer through the (laughs) cow.
2: I like that. But no, there's a similarity there, and it's called terroir. It's a, a, you know, what the cows are enjoying is also being produced into the cheese. What the cows are eating gets expressed into the milk, and it gets expressed into the cheese. And it's a similar process, and it's a similar content with beer. And uh, also bubbles, Bubbles are a key ingredient that works super well with cheese pairing. Because especially a lot of the cheeses that we're pairing for this event, uh, the weight and the body of what it feels like on your palate is key. If you have two of hard of a cheese that just kind of crumbles in your mouth and disappears, it's not interacting with what you're drinking very well. So a lot of the cheeses, as far as how they coat your palate, they add that fat layer to your palate and then you drink a little bit of beer with the bubbles and it clears that fat content off your palate and then you're ready for the next bite,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is what we're all about.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, one of the things, and I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that the bubbles are, are really important because that's the one thing, I mean, I guess if you're drinking a sparkling wine, you'd have some of that effervescence and some of a little bit more texture. But for the most part, whether you're drinking a red wine or a, a white wine, there's not carbonation. And so that's one of the one of the real things that I think of when I when I really and for cheese or any kind of food, there's there's so much of a variety of textures in beer whether you're talking like a light pilsner, a medium bodied brown ale or a really heavy barley wine. Like you're you're at three different levels of texture and I think that um, you know, it, there's, there's cheeses that, that go well with, with effervescent liquids. There's cheeses that go well with like really heavier, more velvety, viscousy uh, textured beers and, you know, it's, and everything in between. So I think just, I mean, we could just talk textures and we would come up with so many fun ways to have those two things interact.
3: Yeah. And, and that's such a key to all of this too, is, um, you know, uh, a cheddar is not a cheddar is not a cheddar. There's so much variation there, just like an IPA is not an IPA is not an IPA. It's not all the same. So the fun part of doing all this pairing and the work is to really find those things that uh, that go together um, with the different elements. So it's not always quite as straightforward as saying this is always going to pair with this. Right. Uh, but it's that fun experimentation that you get to do. And it's so <laughs> hard, the work. I know. I like how that's, it's hard work. I had to drink beer and eat cheese <laughs> and it was tough.
0: And I think the, like the main reason I like the idea of like the beer and the cheese pairing is you're right there is a lot of versatility like in beer and in cheese but for the longest time beer was kind of like the commoner's drink whereas wine was the thing that got paired with things cuz that was the the hoity toity and like that's what you needed to do. But yet we've got this great tool, beer, and it can tastes like Captain Crunch. It can taste like a nice, you know, German lager.
1: It can go on Captain Crunch. I mean, I've had it in Captain Crunch. It, I have mean. a lot of college memories about beer and cereal. That's a whole other podcast. Right?
0: So it's just a its a good vehicle to help, you know, a situation and express some flavors. Right. And I think, you know,
1: we're, we're, I mean, we're here at Lupulin. When you come into Lupulin, one thing you'll notice is it's not just all the same style of beer. So, you know, they have beers for that are that are lighter they have beers that are hoppier they have beers that are maltier the beers that are heavier and so it's it's just a kind of a fun and i think that's pretty common with a lot of the breweries that you'll walk into it's not just one kind of beer it's 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 a it's a continuum and it's kind of fun so i think it's you know that's a that's a really good thing so here's a here's a question what are the basics? When we're talking pairing cheese and pairing beer, give us the Cliff Notes version of what does one need to know?
2: Not much. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all about experimentation. So as far as tasting through anything, uh, you know, from cereal, we're talking about Captain Crunch. I've been putting Captain Crunch on uh, Fresh Chef for a long time. Uh, it's about the weight and the body in your mouth. So start with the lighter and move through to the heavier, same thing with beer, same thing with wine. That's basically just the experimentation starts at square one. Mm-hmm. It starts with the lighter weight cheeses, the things that are not as aggressive on your palate and, uh, moving into the little bit more of an experimentation in the middle, you know, kind of the mid weight, nut browns, kind of that kind of, uh, direction, and then into the heavier. And the weird thing, and this is a total aside, stouts in general pair well with cheeses on both ends of the spectrum.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Extremely well. You were talking about coffee with your cheese, Elise. Yes, well, you get a lot of those coffee notes in stouts uh, and breakfasty kind of notes with the chocolate peanut butter porter that we're tasting. And uh, so we have some coffee, we have some molasses, and we have... Uh, A lot of uh, um, the peanut butter kind of aspect. So we're talking breakfast. And that's where butter comes in. And that's your brie cheese is Mm. butter Mm. or cream in your coffee. So cheese is not just for dinner anymore. Eat cheese for breakfast. Please, 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 please.
0: Brie on some write pan That pancakes. <laughs> write that
1: mm-hmm. down in pen, people. Cheese is not just <laughs> there Yeah, we put go. it
2: on your on your pancakes especially and uh, on your scone or in your pocket on the way to work. Um,
1: hey, Got to warm it up. Been there, we done that. We have some airline right? cookies.
2: We have some Biscoff that we're going to be pairing. So those are awesome. Um, have done Brie on chocolate chip cookies. Yum. And then the and very tell me more. other side of the spectrum. <laughs> I know <laughs> I'm making
1: you hungry. I'm going to stop by the bakery on the way home. I have, So I have Biscoff. Yep. I
2: right. buy
1: them at Costco by, like, mm-hmm. you know, the pallet, because those are amazing. I didn't realize you could get them other than on a Delta flight, but they sell them Costco. at the store. So... Yes. Tell let's oh, yeah. let's. Oh, I want to go back to this Biscoff thing because sure. I'm really excited now. So, <laughs> so, tell me, what so which cheese would you pair with a Biscoff? Oh, co- uh, we're uh, doing
2: mostly the uh the Brie cheeses, the Brie, brie style. So, little Lucy is going to hang out on a Biscoff, the and Biscoff. you have it in your little package right over there.
1: Okay, well, this is <laughs> the rest of summer vacation just got really exciting <laughs> for me, folks. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's it. So, this is great. I mean, yeah, you couldn't. You're not gonna dip a biscuff cookie in a glass of red wine, no. But yeah, I might try that. Cheese. I
2: but uh, yeah, no, yeah. no.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. Tuesday. Okay,
2: but yeah, also uh, a stout works extremely well with a blue cheese. Oh, okay. Because it has the molasses and it has the sweet that a blue wants from mm-hmm. the salt, and it has enough body to battle a blue. I don't okay. want to say battle, but you know, cooperate. Hold well up with to a blue. it.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't, wanna, you don't want either thing to kind of step on the other thing's mm-hmm. toes. That's, I think that's the, the fear with certain pairings is like certain elements of one thing will get lost.
2: Right, exactly. And sometimes we find we want the beer and whatever we're tasting with it to balance each other well. Either get something, a taste in your mouth that makes your eyes roll back in your head or bring something out in the beer that you didn't sense before. Or bring something out in the cheese you didn't sense before. Just make it really interesting pairing. Uh, as long as it doesn't leave an acrid taste in your mouth, we're we're good. Um, and the and the body and the weight of the cheese and the beer is going to be super key. But then also the different blues are huge. You know, we talked earlier about the pentacreme, which is what we're going to be doing. Uh, Car Valley pentacreme, extreme amount of butterfat in that. Mm. And so it just totally melts on your tongue versus another blue that crumbles and doesn't do much on your palate. Okay. So it's experimentation, um, and that cheese goes extremely well with a chocolate-covered pretzel and our chocolate peanut butter porter. I don't want to reveal too much. Okay,
1: yeah. Well, that's... uh, So one (laughs) of the things that I think is interesting... um, we uh, I don't want to. We're not going to give away the the beers that we're going to sample, but we are going to be doing a nice variety of different things. And uh, one one of the things uh, that I'm curious about. So just just from a general standpoint, let's take a kind of a West Coast IPA. So West Coast IPAs will be uh, tend to be very uh, grassy. Uh, they will have a piney and resiny bitterness. There'll be um, a little bit of malt, but just for balance. What's a cheese that would go well with a West Coast IPA?
2: I don't know. I have to try a lot of cheese to figure that out. Just kidding. But uh, usually, in a super, super general fashion, I mm-hmm. find that IPAs work nicely with cheddars. Okay. Mike, did you have something else? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, and and once again, you
3: know, there's so many different types of cheddars, but as you put something with more of that piney and the resiny notes to it, having something that is a little bit more creamy, so not that real aged sharp cheddar, so something that might be a little bit younger okay. with those creamy notes and a little bit more of the sweetness there, quite often that'll really balance that out nicely.
1: Okay, interesting. Are there any... Um, Carrie, you mentioned, you know, as long as you don't get an acrid aftertaste, you're fine. Are there any um, beer pairings and cheese pairings that you just under no circumstances would recommend?
2: Not really, because we haven't figured that out yet all of a sudden you just get this absolute nasty concoction, and we're not really sure where that fermentation is coming from, the beer or the cheese, but it's, it's when you go and run to you know the refrigerator or to the pantry and get a big old hunk of bread to get that out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Did you have an answer, Elise, as to why? Okay.
4: I have a pairing that does not go well, and it's not related to beer, which maybe that's a, a good thing with this this message we're giving <laughs> um but we uh, I tried some of our little lucy brie with grapes and that is not something you want to experience in your life. Okay. <laughs> so
0: I kind of wanna I,
4: I don't know why. It tastes like barf and so you just don't want to experience oh, it. Yeah, and everyone. so I always Giggle when I see cheese platters with a big pile of grapes on it and lots of soft cheeses. And I think, there's no way I would sit and eat that. Hmm.
2: (laughs) No, exactly. With uh, the cheese board classes that I do, I I always bring out grapes. But I say, this is ornamentation only. Do not eat these with the cheese. (laughs) Because grapes, I don't know if it's... tannins in them. Yeah, or I was going to say maybe it's the tannic really, nature of really the skin. Really, really so then we're leading our way into wine. Yeah. Right? Um uh, but it doesn't work. Totally doesn't work. Huh.
1: Interesting. Well, if this, uh, this if this topic has your 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 you know the little hamster on the wheel running double speed in your head, good news because uh you're going to want to get out your calendarios right now because on Saturday, August 7th, up here at Lupulin Brewing Company in Big Lake, Minnesota, we are going to be putting on a beer and cheese tasting class. It's going to be called Foam to Fromage, and uh, Carrie, Mike, and myself will be um, kind of leading people through a beer and cheese pairing. Um and the tickets will be available, uh, for $25 a piece. And that will be, um, that will, there will be six samples. I believe we landed on. Yes.
0: Was it? Oh, perfect! Six perfect. Yep, six samples of
2: cheese and six samples of beer. Uh, we might get a little ambitious and give you extras just cause we're indecisive. So you might get a little more cheese than you're bargained for.
1: Well, and that's, uh, I mean, if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will, um, and so, you know, uh, who should who should take this class? Who's this class for? Which, which uh, who, you know, people who, obviously, you know, um, anybody who likes fun. Obviously, if you've, you know, this, this is fun when we get together. And, you know, even if you don't like cheesy jokes after a few beer samples, everything's going to be hilarious. Um, so, you know, who's, who's our target audience for this thing?
0: I personally think that anyone that is interested in trying some things outside their comfort zone, this is the time to do it. Best thing is it's going to be small portion sizes, like, balanced with the beer, so you're not, like, committed to a whole pound of cheese. You can actually try it, taste it with some beer, see if you actually enjoy it. Uh, For those that want to, you know, just get out of the house, I mean, we've been locked up for way too long. Let's get around some other folks and try some new things that, uh, you know, are interesting and, you know... The experience of pairing food with beer has been one of those things that has always been kind of like an eye-opening moment for me where it's like, holy crud, there's some good stuff out there.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be six different beers paired with six different cheeses. And the fun part about pairing those things, then you can, like, kind of go off the grid a little bit. And if you don't, I mean, it's not set in stone. Nobody's going to whack your hand with a ruler if you want to pair beer one with cheese four. Well, Jason might, but he's just wild that way. Um, So, (laughs) you know, it's a a fun way to kind of experiment um, with kind of pairing beer with cheese. So I know I'm super excited to kind of, you know, kind of, facilitate the discussion and I'm I'm really really pumped to learn uh from Carrie and Mike about the ins and outs of of pairing beer and cheese. So I think it's it's going to be a great event up here at Lupulin. Um and so yeah, you know, if you you know, let's say your uh shuffleball league got canceled that day and you don't have plans, I think you should make I don't know which I I think I was in my mind, I was thinking pickleball and shuffleboard, and I just invented a new sport. It I happens. like that.
2: Shuffleball is that somewhere close to, I don't know, cornhole. Shuffleball. Yeah, pushes hard. It just rolls on down. <laughs> That's right.
1: It's nice and easy. Um, so, you know... Whatever sport you're going to invent, or maybe you're playing one that already exists, if you don't have anything going on, or if you do have something going on, feel free to ghost your friends, go online, <laughs> buy a ticket. And now, Jason, how can one procure an a, a entry to this fun uh, foam to fromage?
0: The uh, easiest and quickest way to do that would be to go off to our Facebook event and click on the link there, and it will take you off to our uh, ticket portal, and you can purchase them that way.
1: Excellent. And $25 is the cost, Saturday, August 7th, from 1 p.m. to 2.30.
0: And we're going to, like, that 2.30 is mostly for us to talk you through the cheeses. We will start at 1. And depending on the questions that, you know, you folks have about the pairings and how things are going, uh, we're going to definitely tailor it to, you know, you guys, the customers, because we want to make sure that, if you want to know about the creamery, we'll talk about the creamery. If you want to talk about why we paired the brie with the Sauvignon Blanc, which is a wine, we won't have that here, um, we'll tell you why uh, we did so so that uh, hopefully down the line you guys can learn and do these pairings with your friends and family at home.
2: And there will be lots of information about what road trips you can take this summer.
0: Yep. And it's uh, going to be a lot of like local-to-the-area creamery, so it is going to be a great way to taste the heart of the Midwest.
1: Excellent. Well, I, I know I'm excited for it. I've already written it in my calendar and pen, so it's permanent. <laughs> and I will be up there uh, along with uh, Mike and Carrie, and I'm just really pumped. I think this is going to be a fantastic way to have beer and cheese interact in a wonderful setting. You're going to probably you know bring your friends, or if you want to come by yourself, you're going to meet new, fun people. Um, so I think that's great. Uh, Mike, Carrie, do you have anything to add for the class? What people should, I mean, do you need a a master's in food science to to get anything out of it? Can you be a novice and and buy tickets to this class
2: and get something from it? It's absolutely novice. Just wear an elastic waistband.
1: I always do. <laughs> well, that's that's fantastic. So, well, that brings us to a close of another episode of a one pint stand. Again, um, thank you so much to uh, Mike and Carrie, Jared from for, Forage to Fromage. There's a lot of F words. I just you don't want to say the wrong one. You can just call us F to F. F to F, and uh, <laughs> and then it was fun. Uh, Elise and Lucas from uh, Redhead Creamery to stop by and talk cheese and jason as always you are every bit the hospitality director that your business card says (laughs) thank you (laughs) um for everybody here my name is dan Bobian, and this has been an episode of a one pint stand prost well hopefully you feel like you learned a lot about cheese after listening to our discussion If you really want to delve more into the wonderful world of pairing beer and cheese, make sure you buy a ticket for the Beer and Cheese Pairing Class that takes place up at Lupulin Brewing Company in Big Lake, Minnesota on Saturday, August 7th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. The ticket price will include six beer and cheese pairings and a lot of knowledge and fun. So, you know, who doesn't like that? Um... Keep your eyes peeled to Lupulin's social media for information on how to buy tickets online. Um, I want to thank Carrie and Mike Jared from Forage to Fromage. I want to thank Elise Schostrom from Redhead Creamery. And also Jason Wester from Lupulin Brewing Company for making this episode possible. I also want to sincerely thank you for listening. So until next time, this has been an episode of A One Pint Stand. A Minnesota craft beer podcast where the pants stay on, but the caps come off. Prost. Favorite thing to put cheese on? My money is on Jason saying codpiece, but that's, that's that's just me. That's just what I
0: know about his extrovert part uh, in a closet. <laughs> codpiece in a closet. <laughs>